Hello everyone, welcome to All Elite Talking. My name is George and I'm here to discuss the debut of All Elite Wrestling, Collision, live from Chicago on this lovely Sunday morning here in the UK. So, anything big happened on Collision last night? Oh yeah, that's right, just a return to CM Punk. What a great show this was. I've just finished watching it and really keen to share all of my thoughts with you all and see what people think about the show as well. As I've mentioned on previous shows, I'm a huge CM Punk fan, have been since 2003, 2004, that kind of era of CM Punk. Maybe even sooner, I seem to remember a few between him and Raven, which I can't remember if it was in. TNA or if it was an MLW or if it was one that spanned across the different indies but loved him ever since that kind of period and all the way through to his WWE run and beyond in AEW so massive punk fan but also massive elite fan as well so something I want to get clear up front with you guys is that there's going to be no kind of tribal bullshit with me as far as it's concerned whether you're a CM Punk fan or you're an elite fan I'm a fan of both and I'll call it as I see it. But yeah, really, really excited to see CM Punk back tonight. And that seems like a great spot as any to start getting involved. So CM Punk opens Collision, which absolute surprise to no one. Cult personality hits. And the first thing that I noticed straight away is obviously Nigel McGuinness. And that takes me back a little bit because I know that we've got a new commentary team in place, but completely forgot about it. So hearing someone other than Excalibur not doing the it's Saturday, you know what that means, or something like that was really, really odd. And I'll touch on that throughout the show because it does affect the tone of the show. We see a new stage setup, and while it's not grossly different from Dynamite, there's enough differences there to make it look like its own thing, both from how the screens are used and positioned, right through to the colour palette, which I really liked and really enjoyed. And as much as I love the Dynamite stuff, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the arena they were in tonight. I, I couldn't tell you. It just had that bit more of a big-time feel to it tonight. And I've never, ever thought of AEW as anything but big-time. But tonight, I don't know, just something was elevated in that sense for me. So it was really great with the second show coming out that it felt like it had its own identity and that it also felt big as well. It didn't have the Rampage effect, which as much as I love Rampage for what it was, this just felt different. And that is what was needed all along for a second show. Nigel, as I mentioned, said fans have waited nine months and tonight we get some answers. So straight away, along with the promo that was out on Dynamite with Punk saying, I've got some things to say, who knows what I'm going to say with a live microphone in my hand. It was interesting because it sounded like we're going to get something about the elite and what's gone on. Now, a lot of people have had mixed opinions on what should happen. Some think that Punk should come out and just ignored that completely. Something he should come out and address it all. I'm somewhere in the middle. I didn't want it to be anything. If anything was said, I wanted it all to be stuff that could lead to a story. I didn't want pot shots being taken just for the sake of it. Or at least if they were taking pot shots at each other for the sake of it, at least do it with the knowledge that they can all do business together. By that, I mean, even if they don't want to get in the ring together, they can just coexist in a company together. And Punk came out. And he's got his Roddy Piper t-shirt on, which I thought was great. One thing I didn't pick up on at the time, and it wasn't until I saw Punk's wife, AJ, posting about it on Instagram, was the panther that Piper would have on that shirt. It was actually designed to look like Punk's dog, Larry. I thought that was a great little nod there. He had a red drawstring bag with him and some wrestling boots. And straight away I was like, what's in that bag? That would obviously become clear later, or at least hinted to. And again, wondering why the wrestling boots were there. So, Punk, he come out like a god. I mean, the phrase is, all men are created equal. And I think it needs to be changed to, all men are created equal, unless they're CM Punk. And point by that was, he was just a cut above the rest. Punk, one of the things that a lot of people have said is that Punk is a genuine star. And in some ways, he transcends wrestling as a whole because of the amount of time that he's taken away before coming back to AEW. He was the rebellion figure for the fans against WWE and being force-fed what they wanted us to have. He was, as he says, the voice of the voiceless. He felt like he was the guy that those disenfranchised fans would flock to and would want to get behind and 
that in some ways is almost a precursor to what AW became as a company and the reason for AW being the alternative. So CM Punk was the ultimate figurehead for that even before he even got here. So having CM Punk come out and getting those cheers and getting that reaction, he almost takes this mythical place in wrestling that became apparent when you had all of the crowd cheering for him. I'm under new illusions that we're in Chicago, so he's probably going to get that extra boost from that as well. And I think that's smart. The last thing you want is you don't want Punk coming out to somewhere where he gets a mixed reaction to start with. You either lean into a place where he's going to get heavily cheered, or you lean into somewhere where he's going to get heavily booed, and you play off of that. Of course, you're always going to get things that aren't going to be 100% positive, 100% negative. We're in Chicago, but we're still getting someone walk past with a CM Junk um, sign. So you're going to get people that aren't going to be into it. And that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But having that one reaction sets you off on the right, the right trajectory. So Punk got in the ring. And the first thing the guy says was, I don't know if you guys have heard, but I'm tired of being nice. And I'm just sitting there going, whoa, okay, so you sitting down with your muffins and just go to town on everyone? That was you being nice? Okay, cool. And then he talks about that he's gone for 10 months with a ruptured tendon torn straight off the bone, but he's still here. And a line that I really loved and made me think, hmm, okay, was, this is the professional wrestling business. This is a business for grown-ups. This is not a popularity contest. And hinted that if it was... He would have lost that a long time ago. But straight away, when he said, this is a professional wrestling business, this is a business, and I'm thinking, okay, this is a hint of either I've got something in the pipeline with the elite and we're going to work on this because it's a business, or is it trying to get that out of there? Guys, work with me. This is a business here. Come on, let's put some money on the table. So then he said, I'm tired of being nice. Tell me when I'm telling lies. Absolutely love the Bobby Fish reference there. As many people know the meme with Bobby Fish. Just tell me when I'm lying. Tell me where the lie is. Tell me where the lie is. Um, when Bobby Fish was on his way out and was trying to get the Undisputed Era with him and all of that jazz. But yeah, loving love Punk dropping the Bobby Fish lines in there. He's talking about the fact that he... He says he's never fit in, fit in anywhere in professional wrestling like he has in AEW. He loves the crowd for it and he's never compromised. He said, I am me and I couldn't have done this without you all, which is great because it's acknowledging the crowd, acknowledging everyone. But then he starts to get into a stage where he starts to manipulate the crowd a bit. And he said, but it seems there's some people that hate me for the same reasons you all love me. So he's already putting out the idea to people that Hey, people, you love me, you love me. And saying this, people don't love me, but you love me. And that's probably going to play a lot into how Punk is over the coming weeks. And so he, he understands the sheer magnitude of him makes people uncomfortable. So again, building himself up is this larger than life, almost larger than the business um, myth and legend. My mere presence makes people uncomfortable because I am the truth and the truth is painful. And then boo me, cheer me, love me, hate me. You all do it because you know I'm right. So again, he's already saying that he knows that people are going to boo him and that people are going to jeer him in weeks coming. And that's fine. But he's saying that he knows that the reason people do that is because he is right. Again, love that because it's almost preempting it. So it's not some awkward thing that happens when he gets booed. And then mentions David Zaslav, who, for those who aren't aware of who that is, is the WB Discovery CEO or president. I know he's basically one of the top dogs in the company, if not the top dog, and said that he calls him One Bill Phil. Now, allegedly, David is a big CM Punk fan. I've seen that backed up by um, some of the reports from Fightful. And says that he's a massive CM Punk fan. He really wanted him on board with this project. And said that he calls him One Bill Phil. I was like, hmm, okay, where's this leading to? And he said that the reason that he calls him that is because he is one of the true genuine article in a business full of counterfeit bucks. I was like, oh, okay, there we go. There's the first shot at the young bucks. Great. The king is back, baby. And I have a lot of things to get off my chest. And then he asked, why would he change 
This is what Joe Strummer trained him for. So get into that punk ethos of rebellion and I would never compromise. And, and then he said, there's the people that think they're owed an apology. I've grown older and wiser in my years. If you feel that you're owed an apology and you're here tonight, I'm sorry that you, the only people softer than you are the wrestlers you like. Or oh, again, taking those digs at the people that thinks Punk owns an apology to them are likely going to be elite fans. Or when I say elite fans, the elite fans who are tribalistic in nature and think, oh, these guys, he needs to apologise to them because he's done them wrong. And hey, you know, I'm going to say probably all parties in some way, shape or form have done things wrong. Punk especially was absolutely out of line for what he did at that media scrum. I imagine, without making excuses for the guy, that a large part of that was probably down to the fact that he just come back from injury not long, won the title again, and then got injured again. That probably played a huge amount into where he was at. Not excusing the behaviour at all. I think Tony Khan could have done much better at shutting that down. But again, if he does that, it's bad publicity. So I could also see why Tony rides that out to try and win it round. So yeah, there's been a lot of stuff going on. We don't know what's happened with the Bucks. We don't know what's happened with Kenny. We don't know what's happened with Hangman. And we don't know what else has happened with Punk. So whatever's going on with those guys, I'm not going to say this person knows this person's apology or whatnot. You know, it's down to them. They're all grown men. They can sort their shit out themselves as far as I'm concerned. All I care about is on screen what we're getting. And I'm liking the allusions to the Young Bucks elite Kenny Hangman versus CMFTR or CM Punk in many guises. What I'm hoping is that this here is the first hint that we get CM Punk versus Kenny Omega at Wembley. I think that's ultimately what has to happen. That match cannot be left to sit on the table. And I think you either do CM Punk versus Kenny at Wembley or you do CM Punk versus Kenny the following week in Chicago. The other match that I think you do alongside that is you also do another main event with CM Punk versus Hangman Page. I think there's money in there for a trios match as well somewhere. But I do think CM Punk versus Hangman Page is another match you do. Personally, how I would have it all go down is I'd have CM Punk beat Kenny at Wembley. And then I'd have Hangman Page beat CM Punk at All In. But who knows what's going on with all of these guys. We've got a long way to go before we even get there. But yeah, it was a, a great promo segment to kick off the show. And then he started talking about his tricep and he said, I've held what's in this bag. So there we go. We get it confirmed that Punk has got his belt in the bag, which is nice because Punk never lost that title. He relinquished it through injury. So he never actually lost the belt, which was a great little touch that I've got this. Now, whether or not we see him week on week bring it with him because he didn't bring it out with him in the main event or whether it's just someone he brings out from time to time or even just wants us to know that he's got nice little touch there. But then that also leads me to think, hey, are we getting something with MJF soon as well? So it automatically, with Punk, gives us a couple of different avenues. He's come back. We know that he's fired up, so we've got the same old Punk, which could lead to full-on heel Punk at some point. We've got Punk who we're referencing the Elite, we're referencing the Bucks, we're referencing Kenny. Not so much to Hangman there. Maybe the whole soft comment might have been towards Hangman. Who knows? But we're kind of referencing those guys. We're putting him in a match with Samoa Joe, who he's been largely rumoured to be going into a feud with, and Punk was really wanting to work with him as well. And then we've got the talking about the title and never losing the title, so that could lead to MJF. So I feel like we've brought Punk in, and within five minutes, we've shown, first of all, how big a star he is, how he can control the crowd, and to a degree, how much far and away he is to practically the entire roster in terms of being able to do that. And that's not a dig at the roster, that's just how good Punk is. We've got some people who are very talented on the mic in AEW and can draw in a crowd, but Punk has just got this way about him. And he always has, but as he's gotten older and that bit more bitter about him, he's managed to pull that off even more. So yeah, great. 
great reaction when he came out as well. Almost on par with the first dance moment that we had with Punk as well. So, loved it. Thought it was really great. And he said, these are my boots. A lot of you wanted me to put these down. These boots are staying with me until someone can feel them. And he finished it off again. Tell me when I'm telling lies. Great segment there. Then we move on to the first match of the night. TNT Championship match. Wardlow versus Luchasaurus. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't see this match coming on Collision. I honestly thought the Collision debut episode would have the international title. And my prediction at the time was Orange Cassidy is going to lose his international title on the debut episode of Collision, potentially in the first match. So we get the first match here. It's not the same title. It's the TNT title. And if you listen back to my previous episode, my Dynamite review, I've not been the biggest Wardlow fan recently. What they're doing with him in terms of presentation, I just feel something's not working with him. And I don't like saying it because it's something I relied on a bit of a crutch a while ago. And it would always be, if a baby face isn't working out, turn them heel. But with Wardlow, I really feel this is what needs to happen. Because no matter what they're doing, it doesn't work. And in this match, I think they've realised it. And they ended the match taking the title off of Wardlow. Luchasaurus is the new TNT title holder. And I didn't see that coming with Luchasaurus. I thought the match Wardlow had with Christian was a really great match. And at the time I said, take the title off of Wardlow, put on Christian. And either give Christian that time to make him hate you in the way that he's really great at doing so that Wardlow can get that pop or take it off of him completely off of Wardlow, give it to someone else, let him go away for a bit, come back, heal it up and then take another run with the babyface run because as I said before, we've seen it in WWE with Roman Reigns years ago, what happens when you've got someone people like, especially as a babyface who doesn't quite have the technical in-ring ability that others do. And that's, again, not a diss to Wardlow at all. He's great at what he does, but he's not the usual AEW-style wrestler of being really skillful with technical moves or some of the Lucha Libre style. He is more of a, I want to say basic, and I mean that in a, a good way, but basic sort of ground and pound style guy. So you kind of need to give him that opportunity to to have some time away. I thought the match was, it was decent, but I, I'll be honest, again, I didn't really hold much, my it didn't really hold my attention all that much that I would have liked to have gone, oh, I really want to see who wins. I really want to know how this all goes down. I obviously watched it, but just I just thought it was very, very one note. The real MVP of the match was Christian, doing all of his shenanigans on the outside and eventually leading to the Luchasaurus win. And there it was, Luchasaurus is the new AEW TNT champion. And I thought it was great at the end when Christian was, I mean, Christian was obviously the reason that he won. He was the one that took the photographer camera and got the shot in on Wardlow. Luchasaurus got the pin. At the end of the match, Christian takes the belt. Christian gets hoisted up with a belt. Christian's on the top rope with a belt. And walking up the ramp with the belt. At no stage do you see Luchasaurus with the belt. This is also making me think. Do we see a Luchasaurus face turn down the line? Because Christian is going to be overbearing with that. He is going to be. I can already see how he looks. How he's even holding the title. Backstage. Dynamite. Or on collision. In an interview segment. Luchasaurus behind him. Christian talk about him being the TNT champion before getting that little look from Luchasaurus. I can already see that coming and it's going to be great. And I would have still preferred Christian to actually been the champion, but it's really within Christian's wheelhouse as well to almost claim to be champion when he's not. In his mind, he will see himself as the champion because he's the guy that got the belt, not Luchasaurus. Luchasaurus was just the person that made the pin. He made it happen. He beat Wardlow. So, he being Christian, great work there. Loved the ending, loved to see where we're going from this. Wardlow needs some time off screen. Give him some time off screen. I would, honestly, I'd probably give him time off so he's coming back around about Wembley time. I would do that thing. 
I wouldn't put him in the Owen Hart Memorial Tournament. I wouldn't have him win that. It, at this point, it would just feel too forced. Give him at least four or five weeks off. Just let people have a moment from him. It's not worked since he's come back with that TNT title. Give him that bit of time. Let people be excited for him coming back. And really have a think about what program you want to put him in. If we're going to go babyface Wardlow, give us something to care about. And give someone, someone as his opponent that we want to see him really, really destroy. So we move backstage and we've got Lexi there with Powerhouse Hobbs and QT Marshall. Still not liking the QT Marshall pairing with Powerhouse Hobbs. I think it's stupid. I think QT Marshall is just... He's the next step above Smart Mark Sterling. And I just think it's dragging down Will Hobbs. I think Will Hobbs has got enough about him. I feel that if you wanted to give him the manager slot, you could have done an Arn Anderson with Will Hobbs or someone like that and give him a serious manager. But it's there telling you that Powerhouse Hobbs has been put into the Owen Hart tournament and that he's going to win it. And then Hobbs mentions the press release dropped for Collision and whose name was front and centre. So, as he said, he's the face of TNT and it'll be a new chapter in the book of Hobbs and it's going to be about winning the Owen Hart tournament and taking what's his. So, interesting that we get the first name in for the tournament. I was trying to have a think about who I thought could win the tournament and who I would want to win the tournament. For me, Powerhouse Hobbs is not a bad winner at all. I think he is a guy that clearly has a lot of upside to him. He's a little bit older than some people are in AW, certainly some of the more younger talent, so maybe he wins to get that extra boost. And if they want to make him a main eventer, they need to start thinking about it soon if they want him to be in the real main event. Now, I know that wrestlers are wrestling older these days, but he's closer to the age of the Moxleys and people like that than you'd actually think he was. So, yeah, we need to get moving on him if we really want to have him as a main event run. My pick for the Owen Hart tournament is Swerve. I just think it's made for him, and I think he needs that little bit more rehab, and he needs a title of some sort. And if even if it's a tournament winner, that would be great. So then we get the returning Andrade El Idolo versus Buddy Matthews of the House of Black. And this is one I've been really looking forward to. Little fact, the return of Andrade is also the same amount of time as the return of CM Punk and the return of Miro. They all wrestled on All Out the last time they featured and none of them have been back since. So returns of three big fan favourites. Certainly CM Punk, depending on who you ask. But Andrade and Mira are two guys that people love to get behind. So I imagine for both of these guys, for a while, they're going to be baby faces just by crowd reaction alone. And this was the first moment that I really started to notice the difference in styles between Tony Schiavone between Excalibur and Taz, and then McGuinness and Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly, the way he was pronouncing Andrade's name, and maybe getting it slightly wrong at times, or pronouncing it differently at different cadence, it all felt a little bit different. So I think that's actually going to be something I didn't even predict or think about, but the announced team is going to take some getting used to, and it's going to have two very different flavours between the shows as well. So yeah, getting used to that is going to be interesting. And also seeing the commentators down by ringside, that is really different because we've never really had that in AEW before. It's always been up at the ramp. So yeah, just very different style and setup. But that'll be something that we can get used to. But Kevin Kelly especially is just such a, a master of wrestling encyclopedic knowledge and gives you that background that is really useful to have, especially when you're building up stars who people may not be as familiar with, especially people who now, Saturday night, a new show, might not have time to check out Dynamite, but might be sitting at home and going, oh, what's this? How do I get into these guys? What do I need to know about these? So yeah, great stuff. We have Buddy Matthews come out first, and what I would say is I love the lighting effects that are starting to use on the crowd. When they had their trios match, a couple of weeks ago and they had that light that really weird lighting on the crowd the whole match and with the low lights it just made something a bit different about it 
I thought it was really interesting as well in this match that they didn't use the low light, but they do in the trios match. So again, in that setting, the trio setting, you've got a different presentation to when they're going one-on-one, -on -one, which I think, again, is really clever in how they're using different presentations. Then you get Andrade come out. Again, huge cheer from the crowd. And Andrade, my God, does the guy look jacked. He has put on so much more muscle and just, again, looks really much bigger than he did before. So the match itself, I thought it was a great match. Absolutely great. There was a lot of counters, a lot of hard-hitting stuff going on. I thought there was a really great spot where Buddy was launched into a timekeeper's table and then they were going back and forth. There was a Meteora being hit at one point. There was... Andrade being thrown into the barricade and really working on the areas that these guys had been injured. So Andrade's shoulder, you had him touching that quite a lot. You had the charge at the beginning of the match where Buddy really charged at him and Andrade just stood there, tapped it a couple of times just to say, yeah, I'm fine, mate. Don't worry about me. And then just carried on and on. And as the match went on, before we went to a commercial break, they were referencing Buddy's knee injury. And when it went to picture in picture, you had the doctor dive into Buddy. And Buddy was down in the corner. And at first, I'll be up front, it, it looked like he was really injured. There's something about the way wrestlers sell. And then you can see real pain sometimes. Now, some of them are just really great sellers. And I had this month and a half ago at 1PW. Niche reference there, but UK fans will know for a wrestler called Lizzie Evo and honestly the way she was almost crying in pain it spoiled the match for me because she was outside and I thought she was genuinely injured she wasn't it was a work so I will always kind of give that slight credence to it but the same was happening with Buddy here the way he was pounding the mat taking his knee out everything it looked like he was really hurt and then a doctor came in for Andrade but he looked more like it was, that was a work. So it was kind of hard to understand, but unless I'm corrected by coming out of here and going, actually both guys or one of these guys really were injured, it seemed as the match was going on to be a bit of a work. I thought there was a great spot where Andrade dived through the ropes, attempting a spear, and then you have Buddy catch him into a DDT and just drop him. That was great. There was another really great point where Buddy Matthews was down, Andrade went up for the moonsault, Buddy moved, and as Andrade landed, he landed on his feet because he realised he moved, and he did a second standing moonsault all in one flowing motion and hit him with it. And it's one of those moves that sometimes doesn't look that effective, but really looked great with how Andrade did it here. Crowd were getting really, really into this. There was a sunset powerbomb to ten. But you had, again, the story of Buddy's knee gave out. So, again, was he hurt and they just played on this through the match? Was this all part of the match? I'm guessing probably the latter. But, again, it allowed the story between the two of them and playing up the injury aspects that both of them had but still willing to risk it all, I thought was great. Got a lot of this is awesome chance from the crowd. And then Kevin Kelly had a really great line saying, wrestling is human chess and you learn from different masters. And what he means by that is obviously looking at all of the different styles around the world. that These guys have travelled around learning. Andrade is obviously from Mexico. He's had his time in the US. He's had a great run as La Sombra over in Japan as well. He may well have spent some time in Europe, but... Again, Buddy, he will have done very similar things there as well. And just Buddy, you can see the influences on him. Kenny Omega is obviously a massive influence on Buddy. And one of those things that people mentioned before he left WWE was that basically he just decided, my moveset is going to be Akada and Kenny Omega. And who better than to have movesets by? So, yeah, you had that. And then you got into a stage where Andrade locked a figure four onto Buddy and obviously a nod to both his wife and his father-in-law who 
widely reported at the time that Ric Flair was originally supposed to come in and be Andrade's manager before Chavo came in. So what I loved about this was he was putting the figure four on, he was putting into a figure eight and kind of going between the two. He was doing these really great bridges as well and just really stretching, getting a lot of torque on it. And that's what got the pin, that's what got the submission win in the end for Andrade. And it was really, really great just seeing that because, again, having a submission move in your arsenal for any wrestler is great. But having that there, having it make it look so violent, worked really well for them. At the end of the match, you then had Andrade get to his feet and he tried to help Buddy, but Buddy shoved him. You then had him offer his hand again. And again, he was basically going, no, come here, shake my hand. And then the arena just lights went out. Lights came back on. And you had Andrade was surrounded. You had Brody King, you had Malachi, and you obviously had Buddy there. And Brody just hit him with a massive clothesline. And Malachi just whispered to Andrade. So there's where we're moving on to next. So where I think we could be going here is obviously Andrade doing something in singles with these guys while they also do their thing as a trio, or potentially Andrade, Roosh, Andralistico, or Preston Vance, potentially, but I would hazard guess more Andralistico in a trios match. That would also be really great to see as well. So again, setting up more story threads down the line. We then get the hype package come up for Scorpio Sky. So... Just a fairly run-of-the-mill package. Nobody can beat me. I'm on another level. Be interesting to see how Scorpio Sky is presented when he comes back. Guy I've always liked. Always thought he had a bit of a ceiling, though. But, again, happy to be proven wrong. If someone comes in and absolutely nails it and nails their role, go for it. Put them in those spots. But not someone I would say I'm massively excited to see. But it'd be nice to see him nonetheless. Then we had Smart Mark Sterling and Tony Nese. Now, Tony Nice is that kind of guy where I can see why he was given a role, especially when you had Dark, you had these guys who go on to Dark and do these little stories and then come on to the main show and take a loss every now and again. Could totally see it. He's not bad in the ring. He, he looks the part. There's just something about him I can't connect with. A bit of a charisma void for me. But he was out there with Smart Mark Sterling and they were given the, listen up, I'm a personal trainer. I'm not going to allow the fattest people in Chicago on the screen. I'm going to shut down Collision and we're just going to do group training. So really cheap heat. But we know where this is going. We know what's going to happen here. Miro returns. And that refrain of the Redeemer just starting the trumpets. Great. And we were sitting at home this morning watching it going, please let him get cheered. Please have him get cheered. Wanted that big reaction. And to say that he got a big reaction would be understated. The guy came out, again, just looked the part that he always has done. He looked in great shape. Nigel even mentioned that himself. And he just destroyed Tony Nice. Overhand forearms that he was hitting, the clotheslines that he was hitting, the strikes, and really going for him was great. Miro felt like he was dangerous and you had a few spots where at the beginning Tony Nice was trying to run away and almost get Miro in the right position so he could make some attacks on him which looked good for him. He didn't look chicken shit at all in this match and he tried and he really tried but Miro was just too much. Hit him with a massive thrust kick and then you had the game over which forced the submission. The match was what it needed to be Great. So from there, we then move on to the tag team match for the ladies. I was really looking forward to this one. Like I said on the Dynamite review, I've been really digging what Tony Storm's been doing. She's gone up another level again, back to where she was during her last women's title run. She's really, really, really finding her groove as a heel as well as a character. Ruby Soho, she is someone that, again, for the longest time, I just find really hard to connect with her, but again, her work in the Outcasts, really good. And I love seeing these two as a team as well. I know they're missing Soraya. Um, don't know where she is, don't know why she's not there. 
but these ladies together as a team really like them. And then you have Willow Nightingale and Sky Blue, and one of the things that I said I really hope we get from Collision is that we get more women being highlighted and being brought up. So the AW Women's Division was one of those things where the division wasn't really handled all that well. They had the ladies that would feature mainly, and you'd have another couple, but it all felt a bit disjointed. There was some great talent not being used to the full potential. And we did a, almost a hard reset on it about a year ago now, where we started looking at who were the main people to focus on, and then who were going to be the secondaries. So like I said, Willow Nightingale, Sky Blue, they felt like they were in that secondary, maybe tertiary category there as well. But... Throughout the year, we've seen both of them being used more and more and more. Willow has got a great way of the crowd getting behind her. She's just got a connection with them. They've done some great stuff with her. She's got a history with Ruby Soho because they were actually playing almost best of frenemies style team where Ruby just, she liked her, but at the same time found her a bit annoying, found her a bit OTT with the happiness side of her and they end up having a really great um, I think it was a last man standing or no DQ match with Ty J I think it was in January this year that was really great unfortunately had Anna J taken the bump of a lifetime and land straight on the concrete with a power bomb but they showed a different side to Willow and they kind of showed that she could be this happy go lucky girl but she's strong she can really get into a fight when she's needed to. So a lot of a lot of facets to her. She's not one-dimensional at all, is Willow, and that's really great. Sky Blue was someone who came in, and she was just very happy, happy-go-lucky, and she really needed to work on her own ring. She was good for the level she was at, and she has. They've put her with so many different dance partners over the year that you can see the progression in her. So... She's getting the hometown spot tonight as well. You've had Punk get the hometown spot, but hey, we're extending that to Sky Blue. And I thought they both did really well in the match, as did Ruby and Tony. The match itself, really great. Again, a lot of just great, solid wrestling. The more I'm watching the women as well, especially Tony, is they are low-key dragging out some of the matches of the night when they're coming along as well. They're hard-hitting they're not trying to be really light touch in the way that maybe we're used to women's wrestling in North America for a long time. But really great. The heels were getting to a stage where they were they were winning, they were doing really well, and then they've started to lose that a little bit. So Tony Storm goes for the cheap ending. She gets the spray paint can. You've got Ruby has Sky in a hold, and then Tony's about to spray. Willow grabbed Tony. She inadvertently sprays Ruby in her eyes. And then Sky Blue hit the code blue. And every match I've seen of Sky Blue lately has been a loss because she's been on TV facing bigger stars. So I don't ever recall seeing Sky Blue's finisher. And I'm not sure if that's how it's hit all the time or if it's just how it looked on that occasion. But man, the code blue looked bloody great. And it's one of those moves that sometimes in wrestling you've got the moves that require a bit too much um, cooperation to be set up and in a position for too long or in an unnatural position for too long that allows the wrestler to hit the move. So in this case, the way it all went and the way Ruby was selling the spray paint in the eyes, all of that that went with it, and the way she flowed the move and flicked her over looked great. And you could imagine that if Ruby has been hit with that spray, not knowing what's happening, then Sky Blue just coming in, hitting that move, blinded, not being able to see, you can understand why she didn't kick out from that. So really big win, hometown win, gives Willow and Sky Blue that push up again, gives Ruby and Tony that reason for losing, so it doesn't really hurt them gives us a big moment and pushes two more women along. So great stuff. And this is what I'd like to see more from Collision. What I don't want to see is I don't want to always see the same women on both shows. So I don't want it to be Sky Blue is the featured one that we're lifting up on Dynamite. Sky Blue is the featured one we're lifting up on Collision every single week. I don't mind obviously crossing over weeks on weeks and obviously featuring these women in more matches. 
not a problem with that. But if we're then going to go, right, we've got to give someone else more of screen time as well. Who are we gonna, else are we going to lift up or who are we going to give that solid spot to? That's what we need to look at. I do really want Hikaru Shida on collision and I do really want her versus Thunder Rosa at some point because I think we are going to get more of a heel Thunder Rosa down the line and I think that'd be great and I think if we give those two a match as well that eventually does bring on to a feud of moving Thunder Rosa onto Britt Baker so yeah something there to consider and also that's another thing I'm wondering when we get Thunder Rosa back and if she is a heel when she comes back or does move to a heel stage do we get Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker at Wembley or at All Out? Something to consider. We then get a video from Ricky Starks, also declaring himself in the Owen Hart Cup tournament. So he said, I'm going to be the next winner. What better place to do it in Canada? This tournament is absolutely meant for me. And talking about how much he likes Owen's style and that sort of stuff. The general sort of babyface filler. I'm going to enter into this. I'm going to win this tournament. Again, don't think Ricky Starks is going to, and I probably wouldn't put it on Ricky Starks either. I think Ricky's had an interesting run this year. We're in June. He's had two big feuds, but arguably the Jericho feud ran on a lot longer than it should have done, and it was really backwards in the way it worked. Yep, he got some pins, but he didn't really come out of it feeling bigger for it. The Jay White feud, I think just needs to be over with now. I think we're reaching that stage of we've eked out for as long as possible. We need that definitive win. I don't think we're going to get the definitive win for Ricky Starks. I think Jay White's going to get that. Where does Ricky go next is the question. I've seen people suggest that Ricky Starks is going to turn heel and join Bullet Club Gold. That would be interesting because many people thought that when the guns interrupted a week or so ago, that that was going to be a new member of Bullet Club Gold. A lot of people had ELP down for that. A lot of other people had different wrestlers down for that on the roster that could have come in, turned heel with it. It's now making me feel that there is more of a chance that Ricky could do that. But who knows? Interesting to watch though. And I think whatever happens next, again, he needs something that makes an impact. He's another one of those guys we just need to see a bit of an impact from now because he's doing well with what he's being given, but he just needs that opportunity to do something that feels like it's having a bit more of an impact for him. We then move on to another video package and it's Jeff Jarrett. So Mr. I'm getting lots of screen time every single week. Um, Jeff, I mean, don't get me wrong, Jeff is great at what he does and I think his level is right in AEW. I think when he started to come into the ring, people were like, Oh no, is he going to be put in world title scene? Because that's what you've seen in WWE. And that's not a knock at WWE either. It's just when someone has been older, a legend, generally they're put in a world title scene because they've got that experience, they've got that name value. But Jeff Jarrett's one of those, even though he has that name value, he was never that level of star, even as WCW world champion back in its heyday, or well, say heyday, 2000, 2001. But at that time, he was never the top guy in wrestling when he was WCW world champion. So it was interesting to see his level, but I think they've got his level right. But now we're building up to him versus Mark Briscoe. So a concession stand brawl. He said, 46 years to the day that the last Outlaws family created the first ever concession stand brawl, Tupelo, Mississippi. Put hardcore wrestling on the map. So again, this is one of those things where... Tony Khan has gone, oh, this really niche thing that happened in wrestling. We can do this because it's almost there's almost an anniversary to it. Hey, it's, it's fine for what it is. I, I love that Tony is such a nerd sometimes because I think that's the reason why we get Brian Danielson versus Okada because Tony is a nerd and knows that there is that niche audience out there. And I think it's one of the things that Tony gets too much crap for is people claiming... You need to really play up to the casuals, the casuals, the casuals. And I get what people are saying to a degree if you are trying to grow your audience and grow it and grow it and grow it because the networks are saying, this isn't good enough, we want more, we want this, we want that. Clearly the networks are happy with what AEW are doing because you don't get another two-hour show if they're unhappy with what you're doing. 
So there is this clear, they are happy for now of what's happening. Tony is giving us people like CM Punk. He's given us people like Moxley, Brian Danielson, who those casuals will know. But then you're also giving us something like this concession stand brawl, which is a really niche thing that happened 46 years ago and probably three quarters of wrestling fans won't know about. But that quarter who do know about it is be like, oh man, that's so cool. And that's the sort of thing that Tony will sprinkle in there throughout. So uh, for me, it'll be one of those things where it will be what it will be. They've shown that they can do these backstage brawls quite well. It'll be good to get Mark Briscoe featured on something as well. But from there, it'll be good to get Mark Briscoe away from that. And then again, work out what's going to happen with him. The guys had a tough year. It was obvious to everyone that Tony was trying to get him and his brother into AEW before his brother passed away. So now it's about thinking, what do we actually want to achieve for Mark? And I think doing what they've been doing has been good because the last thing you want to do is bring Mark in on a big stage and have him lose straight away with everything that's gone on. People just wanted to see him do some stuff where, hey, he can win, you can be happy. So, yeah, I would like to see him get a run at the TNT title or the international title at some point or do something like that or just part of great matches. He could be a guy that under what looks to be the new format for Rampage of just great random matches, you could do that. You could put him on there for a while and then build him onto the main show. You could put him in the Owen Hart tournament and give him a good run throughout that. So the story's there to be told for him. And then we go on to the last segment of the night before the main event. And Tony Schiavone was in the ring and the acclaimed and daddy ass came out. So great little rap from Max at the beginning, obviously referencing CM Punk a couple of times. You had him mentioning Trump, which wonder how that went down in some parts of the US. But yeah, they've basically kind of said the trio's titles are not out of the picture for us. We're just going to get back on track. And Bowen's said... AEW now stands for two different things. Acclaimed every Wednesday and acclaimed every weekend. And since we love you guys so much, we're going to stick around for Dynamite this week. So they did the the little scissor segment with all four of them, including Tony Schiavone. But again, it just felt like another meaningless acclaimed segment. When the guys first burst out, it was almost at one stage, it felt like you were the quote-unquote cool kid if you liked the acclaimed people weren't really buying into them all that much but if you enjoyed them for what they were like I did I remember having these discussions with the wife she would she just didn't like them whatsoever and she's come round on them completely now she didn't like them whatsoever I enjoyed them for what they were but kind of thought okay they've got a bit of a ceiling on them at the moment but they could step up and they could get there and then they just blew up absolutely blew up in popularity I think the stuff that they did with Billy Gunn and with Colton and Austin Gunn, it all felt really attitude era. And to me, the acclaimed feel like the modern version of the New Age Outlaws. I mean, better in the ring. But, and I mean that again in a really positive way, because some people will be like, oh, Road Dog and Billy Gunn, really? But those guys knew how to get the crowd reacting. They knew what to do there, how to get them hooked. And that's what the acclaimed do really well. And I felt that's what they did, is they relied on their characters a lot. They relied on some of these silly skits that they did, the family therapy stuff. It was all very attitude era WWE, sports entertainment, but in a good way. It really worked for them and really lifted them up. The matches that they had with Keith Lee and with Swerve for the titles, wonderful. And I still think to this day that they called an audible by booking that second match and having them win the titles because I don't think Tony and the rest of the AW team really understood just how much these guys were over. And I thought that was great that they called that audible, they lifted them up. So now we really, really, really need to get these guys on track. And it really feels like a theme that I've been saying here. Get these guys on track, get these guys on track. What I think I'm happy with, a wrestler doesn't have to be wrestling every week. They don't have to be on screen every week. But when they are on screen, they need to do something of consequence. And they need to do something that is added value. What AEW is very good at doing, and this isn't a good thing, 
is holding pattern. So I'm going to come out and say something meaningless, like saying, oh yeah, we can go for the trio's titles, but a claim stands for this, a claim stands for this, that they do all the time. It doesn't progress anything in any way, shape or form. I'd much rather have, hey, in the last three collisions and dynamite, the acclaimed haven't been here, but hey, they're here this week and they've got this to say and this is what the consequence is going to be. Great. That's what I want to see. You can have the inconsequential crowd pop, crowd pleasing segments every now and again, but you can't have it every single time because it, again, for those who are Simpsons fans, you'll know the Millhouse line of when are we going to get to the fireworks factory? And that's what it feels like with the acclaimed. When are we getting to the fireworks factory? Because at the minute, we're not anywhere close. And I want to see these guys do something meaningful. And then finally, we have the main event. And I remember going, God, we got here quick. This show's flying by. And I realised that we still had about half an hour to go. So they've obviously given a decent amount of time to this main event. And actually, after looking back at the card afterwards, once all said and done, I think they got about 25 minutes, which is a really great amount to give the main event, actually, considering, on average, I think the average Dynamite main event's anywhere between 12 to 15 minutes, usually. So, yeah, good amount of time, and I think it was a smart thing to do, given that they needed to get minutes in for Punk, but also with him just coming back, they also need to be very protective. And they actually mentioned that later in the match, that they have to manage the minutes well. So I think it was a smart move, giving them a slightly longer match here. So for the match itself, inevitably, the first thing that I've seen people do is compare this match to the trios match that main evented Dynamite, especially given the people involved. Now, it's gonna be a completely different type of match, guys. So if you're going with those expectations of which one's better, it will depend a lot on various factors. It will depend on whether you are looking just for a match. And if even then, if it's just for the match, what style you prefer. It could depend on the people involved. It could depend on how much or how important it is for you to have a running story that's overarching it. So I don't think they're really comparable. For me, I thought this was a really great match. I enjoyed the match on uh, Wednesday at Dynamite. I enjoyed this match here, but like I said, they're two very different styles. I mean, I think in the whole match, you, probably your most fast-paced competitor you've got there at times is either Jay White or Cash Wheeler. And neither of those are known as guys who are almost human pinballs like Matt and Nick Jackson, for instance, or even someone like Wheeler Utah who can do that high-speed stuff. But... What I noticed in this match, what I felt from both sides, was the action was a lot stronger. A lot more, when I say a lot stronger, I mean a lot more sort of strong style, a lot more chops, a lot more hard hitting. Everything felt that bit more measured. And that's not, again, not a, a diss to the match that happened on Wednesday, because that's its own match in its own entirety. But this one just had that chop, like those chop battles going on, much more hard hitting. I think in this one, what it made me want at the end of it, it made me want to see CM Punk versus Jay White, because I think that would be bloody brilliant. It made me want to see either of FTR go one-on-one -on -one with Samoa Joe. I think they would be tremendous matches. And yeah, all around, just a really great match. It was a hard-hitting affair. People were tagging in and out, singling out different people in the match. And there, for as long as the match went, there wasn't really this overarching story like like no storyline to go in with but coming out of it you could see punk and joe going together because they were hyping up their history that they've had together the fact that it's been nearly 20 years since they've been in a ring against each other they seem to have a little bit of jaw jacking going on as well so all that sort of good stuff plays into the match i thought punk looked good when he was in the ring i thought everyone looked good when they were in the ring to be fair and that's what I liked about the match. It just felt like a good, hard-hitting wrestling match that you knew who was going to win. Before you even come into this match, you knew who was going to win the match, you knew who was going to get the pinfall, and you knew who was going to take the pin as well. So it wasn't a surprise by any stretch of the imagination. It was just, how do we get there? So obviously the match started with everyone coming out, and then you had FTR come out, and then they waited for Punk, and that's when we got all of them coming down, matching CMFTR jackets. Punk's wearing the trunks that have got Bret Hart-style hearts on them. I thought it was really weird still getting used to Punk as a long tights kind of guy, 
but hey that's just because of how i've always remembered punk either with the shorts or even the trunks but yeah getting used to them with that was a bit weird you had like throughout the match the cmftr chance you had some great action like i said you've, you've got punk was trying to put juice away early in the match with the gts and that, that was what was referenced. He said, oh, it might go for a quick win. And if they do, then we'll have to have some backup matches, which is a nice little touch. I think AEW does quite well as they reference the fact that if this does go short, then we are going to have to put something else on. And I quite like that because it does add a little bit of realism into it. But yeah, then Punk and Joe got involved and that's when sort of business started picking up a little bit. Dax was tagged in and just the, oh, German suplex and there was chops aplenty and yeah everything kind of going on between these guys was great. I really really loved what they were doing. You had at one point Jay White was in there with Punk and you had um, Punk trying to get Jay in the GTS and then Jay was straightening their fingers into the eyes and that's what I love about Jay White. He does things that aren't the normal things that a, a heel would want to do if they want it to be cheered like he doesn't try to be the cool heel whether people like him or not is another thing but he doesn't try to be a cool heel he tries to be real villainous and dastardly and i really like that about jay white and yeah he tried to get punk into the um the blade runner at times and then you've got partners breaking up near falls and whatnot and throughout the match, it just carried on at a really a good pace for them all like i said it wasn't a fast pace it was a very measured pace but it was a pace where it allowed hard-hitting action to go in and actually have time to sink in what was happening as well. And then we got to the end game of the match. And really, the only bit of the match I can fault is right at the end. And I was trying to work out how this all went down, why it went down, how it did. But it just looked a bit silly. So we got a great spot where... Punk went to hit the GTS on Joe. So he tried to get behind him for it and Joe reversed him. And locked in the Kikina clutch. Brilliant. Okay, so he's got it. And Punk did a great job selling this. Just the fear in his eyes. Resigned himself to the fact that, oh shit, I've been bested. And for a guy that's done all he's done at the start of the night and talked all the talk, at the end of the night, you're in that. And it's almost like, going, shit, I've done a big game here. I've not backed it up. We've then got at the end of the match, like I said, that going on, and you see Dax jump up, but Jay White's there to cut him off straight away, hold him back. On the other side of the ring, you've got Juice Robinson doing the same to Cash. And then you get to the point where Punk is dropped down by Joe, who drops him, properly drops him down, and you can see that he's starting to fade, starting to go, the fear in his eyes. And what happens is, during this spot, Dax is already in the ring, but Jay White's pulling him over the rope to stop him from being able to interfere. Cash manages to break free of Juice Robinson. And as he comes into the ring, Punk is in front of him. Joe will be there kind of in his line, and then you've got Dax. So what he did was he ran across the ring, running past Joe to hit Jay White, so Dax could come and hit um, Samoa Joe and break up. Now, when I was thinking about it, I thought, from a wrestling perspective, you've got a wrestling perspective and a fight perspective. And this is where I think sometimes with wrestling, we've obviously got the suspension of disbelief. And some people have got more of a barrier, or sorry, some people have got more of a tolerance for where they are willing to let this go than others. So in this case, you've got... Cash would, in a fight, run and just run straight and hit Samoa Joe. In, a, in this wrestling match, given his style, the way he's running, where Punk is in the ring, I can understand that if he did that, it might, one, look a bit clunky. It doesn't look very wrestling style. It, there's kind of a lot that goes into it where if he runs across, hits JY, and then Dax comes from the other side and hits Joe in the back, it kind of feels a little bit more like you would expect in a wrestling match. That's the only thing that I can think as to why it was done how it was. Because if you're trying to stop Punk from fading, and that's what it is here. It's not Punk submitting. It's trying to stop Punk fading out. Running past him to go and get Jay White and potentially not getting that 
and then Dax not being freed and him getting taken out just ends the match. And I think that's where the match kind of lost a little bit for me, where I was like, that's a bit silly. Overall, though, when you've had a match as good as that, and that's that's all you can find from it, really, it's all right. It's fine. It's not that big a deal. It's just one of those things where if we're going to do something like that, let's just keep it right. And then they hit the um, the chat machine on Juice. CM Punk's get to go to sleep on him. All said and done. And then they ended the match all on the ropes. And Nigel McGuinness said, CM Punk's until someone can fill my boots, I'm staying here. Tonight, not a man alive could fill the boots of CM Punk. So I wonder if that's just going to be something which is kind of is a metaphor and then doesn't go anywhere. Whether it's a thing that carries on, who knows. But really great match. Oh, and one other thing that I just wanted to point out, and I totally forgot as part of the match, and I meant to say the same the last time he was in a match, Jay White has probably my favourite urinagi in wrestling. Whether that's ever or now, I don't know. But it just looks bloody great. It really does. Anyway, that is the end of the card. So, as far as first episodes of Collision goes, I thought it delivered. I thought it did really, really well. I thought all of the matches were serviceable to very good. The women's tag team match and the trios match were really, really great spots at the end of the card. In the middle of the card, I think the Andrade versus Buddy Matthews match, I thought that was very good. and I think that's going to lead somewhere. The Miro match was just a Miro beatdown return almost. It would be great to see him in something a bit more substantial, but looking forward to seeing where he goes as well. Like I said, the Luchasaurus and Wardlow match, it was okay, middling at best at times, but I just thought there could have been so much more that we could get from these matches, but just for whatever reason, it's just not hitting. So I would like to see Wardlow taking a bit of time and whether it's either coming back against a real big opponent that makes you actually care or he'll turn to try and get some of that easy heel heat to make you care and then turn and face down the line. I'm not sure what the right way is to go, but I know that I'm just a little bit bored of what he's doing now. It's going to be interesting to see what Christian does with Luchasaurus to see how that progresses and what happens down the line there. And then, yeah, looking forward, looking to what kind of talent's going to be used on Collision. Are we going to see more of the House of Black with Andrade? Are the acclaimed going to be there every single week like they're claiming they are? What sort of story are they going to get? When is Thunder Rosa coming back? So there's a lot there that can be fleshed out on here. And what I'm really hoping is that we start to see a few more different talents come through this side. I would love to see, whether it's here or Dynamite, I'd love to see Swerve make a proper home somewhere. And almost, if you can have Swerve here and Keith Lee on Dynamite, if you're not gonna do the whole end of their feud, just keep away for a bit. It'd be interesting to see if Orange Cassidy pops up. Like I said, my prediction was Orange Cassidy would lose his title on the debut episode of Collision. We didn't get that, but we did get the TNT title, which if, if I was doing the predictions, I probably wouldn't have said the TNT title, but it does make sense because Collision's here, they want to make a splash. So it kind of felt that if you were putting a title on the line, it's a good idea to actually lose the title, have a new champion, pop that straight away, and get people going, oh, maybe it's a bit different here. But overall, yeah, thought a very good episode of Collision. Looking forward to seeing where things go. So, guys, that is it from me. Really, really happy with how this episode went. I hope you guys have enjoyed. If you'd like to get involved in any of the conversations that I have online, you'll find us at All Elite Talking, both on Twitter and Instagram. You can also send emails to mailbag at alleletalking.com. I would love it if you guys could like, share any posts that I send out there, subscribe to us on any platforms that you listen to this on. It's available on all main platforms. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. If you'd like to give us a, a thumbs up or a five-star review and a rating, all of that jazz would be greatly appreciated. And if you've got any feedback, please do send it to us 
via the emails or via the socials. It'd just be really great to hear from the people that are listening and hear your thoughts on things as well. But guys, that has been it from me. Next week, we are building up quite rapidly, actually, into the next stage of AW. So next week, we have got Dynamite, we have got Collision, and then on Sunday, we have Forbidden Door as well. So next week, I'll be back with a Dynamite review, and I might tag on, towards the end of that, a Forbidden Door predictions, or I might do that separately. Not quite sure how we're going to do that yet. Depends how much of the card is finalised by the time we get there on Wednesday, because at the moment... We've got the potential main events of Kenny versus Will Ospreay, Akada versus Brian Danielson, we've got Sonada versus Jungle Boy, and unless I'm forgetting anything, I don't think anything else has been announced yet, so we still need a fair few matches to be announced. I think the bulk of the card that will get announced will be done by the time we get to the end of Dynamite on Wednesday. If you were leaving it till collision, that's leaving it a bit late, especially for any big matches. But it'll be interesting to see whether Punk's in a match. That could be something which gets announced on Wednesday. I know that there was talk of potentially a Kenta match, but apparently Punk's not uh, keen on that. Oh, and I forgot, Tanahashi versus MJF. So you've, you've got those four, four matches there, the four big matches which we can sell the show on. So when we get to the end of Dynamite, I might have a look and see what we've got. Maybe do a little bit of a Forbidden Door predictions at the end of that rather than its own full-blown show this time around. But yeah, we'll be back next week with those shows. And then it'll be the following week when I'll be doing a Forbidden Door review. Really annoy me that these pay-per-views have gone to a Sunday. And especially now with Collision, we looks like we won't get a Saturday pay-per-view ever again. Which, for me, as a UKer, it was always great having a pay-per-view on a Saturday night, US time, because it means I could get up at 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning, watch the pay-per-view, and I'm caught up. But now, if I want to be able to do that, I've got to book the day off on Monday. So, full disclosure, I don't have the Monday booked off of work that week. So, likely, I watch the show after work or during my lunch break and all that sort of stuff. And I probably have a probably be around Tuesday that I'll have another episode out for the Forbidden Door review but like I said lots to talk about over the coming week we'll get there when we get there really enjoying what AEW's putting out lately Punk coming back felt big time and that's what I want I want things to start feeling big time we felt again in some ways like we've been in mini holding patterns with some things if TK can find the right balance to get levels of story like he's been doing with the BCC and the Elite over on Dynamite, bringing Punk back and getting that feeling back, bringing that through the rest of the roster, carrying that forward on our journey to Wembley because that's our next big point. We've got Wembley, and then if we're to be, if we're to believe what has been said, we've got All Out a week after as well. So lots to talk about, and that's going to be its own riddle to work out. How are they going to do two cards so close together? So anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. I've been George. You've been Lee. Until next week.